everybody. I'm Senator Crystal Diamond. I represent Senate District 35, which is the Boot Hill of New Mexico, Doniana, Hidalgo, Luna, and Sierra County. Um, a majority of my uh, industry is actually the agricultural industry down there. We have a number of farmers, but predominantly a lot of ranch lands. And so I am joined today by New Mexico Cattle Growers Association President-elect Lauren Patterson. Lauren, thank you for joining us. Where are you coming from today? So I'm a, a resident here at Corona, New Mexico, the north end of Lincoln County. So pretty much the very center of the state. Very center of the state. Could you tell us what New Mexico Cattle Growers Association does and kind of the mission of that organization? So the object of New Mexico Cattle Growers is to promote the interest of all cattle growers in New Mexico. Um, it's to secure cordial friendships among us, ourselves, and to promote uh, sound and correct principles of business and and the growing of cattle so we support we do that by supporting the new mexico livestock board and the laws that govern us um obviously engaging uh law lawmakers in santa fe and at the national level um and we work to enact those laws that will foster our interest and protect the industry you guys have quite a showing in Santa Fe here at the state capitol when there's bills of interest to you. And you can always identify uh, what we believe to be a cattle grower member because a sea of the black cowboy hats that kind of fill the halls or fill the, fill the committee room. So you guys have yeah. had a long history of advocating for cattlemen across New Mexico. Um, I am again coming from the state capitol today, Lauren. And just today meeting upstairs is the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish. On their agenda this morning, they address the issue of landowner certification of the non-navigable waters. And, and for any listener that is here today, we, we see this issue kind of come up again and again. Can you describe maybe cattle growers' position on that and even, even uh, give us a brief update of maybe what the Game and Fish uh, concluded today's, in today's meeting? So uh, we have in the past supported the legislation, and in 2019 there was a bill uh, that was brought forth on the Senate side, SB 635, and it was in regards to trespass issues along creeks, streams, arroyos that that uh, landowners sometimes have with fishermen, hunters, etc. And so the non-navigable waters, there's a specific uh, definition to that. I mean, you have to be able to row a boat up, up the stream, basically. And in New Mexico, that there's almost no navigable waters. Right? There certainly isn't right now, is there, in this drought? No, absolutely not. So this has always been a way for people to trespass on private property. And... The legislation didn't get through through the roundhouse, obviously, but uh, the Game Commission propagated rules in regards to that, that you could apply for a non-navigable title, and then, uh, and then you could close off those access points. And so it was a private property uh, right that we believe that people had. They obviously pay taxes right up to the bottom of the riverbed. And so there is some conflict there. And to have a method to address those conflicts cordially 
I mean, that's all we want is uh, understanding our point. And so we've supported that process through the Game Commission of having people declared non-navigable. Um, and so today at the meeting, because of conflicts of interest, they decided to table that on the agenda. And so I think there currently is five uh, applications for that uh, designation. And so we do, we support property rights, private property rights, especially. And so um, we just think there's a, there's, a, there's a method to get this conflict resolved and it takes both sides into consideration. It does. And I think the importance for people listening, maybe from the urban areas, is when you advocate for private property rights, that, that applies to not just these large landscape branches, but even your individual maybe duplex in town. I mean, if it's your private property, then you have the right to do and to, in this case, um, keep your property safe and understand who's on your private property and who's near your family at all times. So we'll continue to watch that. Speaking of private property issues, uh, dominating the headlines very recently, and, and something that I need to learn a lot more about myself, is this 30 by 30 land grab. This seems to be very new. I know that Cattle Growers has sent out some informational emails to membership. Can you just give us a brief summary? What is the 30 by 30? So the, the term 30 by 30 means 30% of land in the United States and 30% of the water to be permanently protected. So currently there is only 12% of the land that is now protected and 23% of the water. So the second 30 comes because they want to do it by the date 2030. So that's relatively a short time period. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a new concept though. So originally the language was de developed by, uh, the center for American progress. And, it, and there was a, a, uh, project they did, how much nature should America keep? Um, and the brainstorm person of that was actually Dave Foreman in 1991, and he's the founder of Earth First. So this has been in the process for a long time. It's just finally they've got it to uh, to the executive branch. And so in, in Executive Order 14008, which the president signed on January 27th, it, it created a task force for addressing the climate crisis um, across the federal government. And so section 216 of the executive order calls on the U.S. to achieve the goal of conserving the 30% of land and water. So how are they gonna implement it? These are all vague, vaguely written. We have no idea. Um, we know that they'll do it through conservation easements we know they're going to try to establish core wildlife areas or wilderness areas and corridors between those areas. So that was all in that original founding document. And so we as landowners uh, split a state um, federal land uh, managers, everything we we graze, we know it'll impact grazing. We know it'll impact property rights. We know it'll impact 
water rights. So how, you know, we need more details. And to, and to be quite honest, the executive branch does not have the right to decide what public lands are done with. That's held by Congress. And so we see conflicts here and, and they're just growing by the day. You know what's kind of scary there, Lauren? My background's in natural resource conservation. And you know this growing up as a rancher and as a true land steward um, is when people start to confuse the difference between preservation and conservation. And so when they talk about a lot land grab, what I think that the fear is and what is to be expected is that they lock this up. And there is a difference between preservation and conservation, a great difference that a lot of people don't really understand. If you lock this land up and it is difficult to manage and we are not accessing, if you're not grazing on it, if you're not thinning on it, what happens, um, and this is a perfect time to show the the mismanagement um, when we preserve our wildlands, right? Or we preserve these wilderness areas and then they burn to the ground and the people that suffer are, are cattle and the wildlife we've been trying to protect and the watershed that's depleted for years. And so the irony is, is that they are once again saving our natural resources to death. Would, would, you, would you agree? Is, is it, while that sounds great, while they, it sounds great in practice, we're in trouble. I mean, that's dangerous for our environment. Well, and that was, I think that was when Theodore Roosevelt, you know, uh, promoted the wilderness areas at the, you know, the beginning of the last century. It was to hold those natural resources in reserve, mm -hmm. not perpetually non-use, right? So we've seen lack, lack of use actually becomes mismanagement and and so we lose that production we lose those resources whether it's by fire or lack of use or mismanagement um it still becomes a waste it becomes a waste to the people who live in the area because they could utilize those resources it becomes a waste for a tax base for that area so mm -hmm. our schools suffer our roads suffer our infrastructure of that community suffers. And so it, it affects all of the citizens, not just the ones that might be going out there and having the job of harvesting timber or grazing the livestock. It, it just affects us all. So. It affects us all. You know, there's a big push, and you've seen this, for this uh, outdoor industry of New Mexico, right? And if we right. had roads to access some of this, these lands that have been blocked off, and if we were properly managing that, could you imagine the beautiful trails and the watersheds and, and, just, uh, and the wildlife habitat that we would have if we could come in there and manage it properly? Um, uh, kudos to where, where you actually see a lot of this proper management is on some of the reservations, if, the difference right. between that and what we see in some of the wilderness areas. So um, I assume that the same people pushing this 30 by 30 are people who are not uh, knowledgeable and not experienced and don't have the, the information on how to best manage these lands like our, like our cattlemen and our true environmentalists would. Well, and, and the perfect example of that is um, in February 11th, Scott de la Varga, or Vega, he was the acting secretary of the Department of the Interior. He rescinded all of the Trump era orders that took into account the state and local input before growing the federal land estates. So 
So they've removed local input from declaring new wilderness areas. That's, I mean, so we know that the agenda is more important than the sinistry, right? So, so that's where we're, I mean, it, they've set, they've set the stage. This is why we're jumping on this kind of early to go ahead and start fighting it now, because it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle for everybody with property. It's a battle. And it's a shame that they've made this a partisan issue because protecting our natural resources and, and our property rights should, is not a partisan issue by any means, which well, is, exactly. which is a shame. Let's transition into, um, I know that you guys are, are, are lobbyists. You often lobby for legislation or policy that would impact our landowners, our cattle industry. Um, walk me through 2021. What were some of your priority issues? What were your thoughts of this last legislative session? Well, of course, uh, and, and uh, there, was, there was several different priority issues. Um, anything that has to do with property or water rights, that, that really concerns us because that's, you know, water's life, land is our, our, you either own property or you are property, right? So um, that's where we, we look, that's our main focus and have those protections for our industry. Um, the, some very big concerns we had, there was a significant, uh, pressure put on the office of the state engineer in regards to the water, water lease changes, the use of water for oil and gas. Um, we believe that if somebody owns that property right of water and a, an acre foot of water, and if they want to lease that and they apply and do the permitting properly, it doesn't matter what they lease it to. It should be their ability to turn that property into, into money, right? To generate, generate revenue. It's theirs. And so as we go forward, we're, we're going to have to watch those. Um, and, and of course the, the big key, key word up there in Santa Fe this year was climate change or, and it, I mean, it was in almost every single bill. And so that, that pressure against uh, oil and gas and, and, and the, the property rights, mineral rights of ranchers and stuff, that, that all concerns us. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, we're not always just involved in cows. Like say, it's the property. It's, we, we hold assets and, and cattle are not necessarily our biggest asset that we hold. And it, it's not a class deal. It's taken generations in some cases to, to hold on and maintain these assets and we pay taxes on them. So yeah. why and often you have, um, I think it's important to remind your listeners, Lauren, that these, these farms and ranches are small businesses in themselves. So you often have employees. Yeah. And so everything that we do that impa Im impacts taxes or, or the burdens that we put on employers have a direct impact. Uh, fuel taxes have a great impact on our ag industry. But in addition to those environmental regulations we place on you, anything we do that impacts business is going to have an impact also on our farmers and, and ranchers. Yeah. So fuel tax is correct. You know, Senate Bill 11, the Clean Fuel Standards Act, we had some big concerns with that. It seemed like it was a a program that they were trying to initiate without much forethought and development, you know. Um, so we 
we were watching those things pretty close. Now, some of the some of the wins that we had, um, HB 57, the Prescribed Burning Act, you know, it reduced the liability of uh, farmers and ranchers to, to uh, do a prescribed burn on their private property. And so it was double damages. And, and so now that's been reduced to one and a half damages. Um, and, a, and a process which you can get accredited through uh, the extension service on on um, being able to like it like you do a pesticide license being able to do a prescribed burning license and so that that's all great i mean not only are we going to improve our land we're going to educate producers at the same time and that's what a land grant should do that's what the state should do i agree so this last legislative another, session oh i'm sorry lauren go ahead no go ahead I was going to say this last session I sent on Senate Finance, we were able to include some funding that was directed to the New Mexico Livestock Board to re-implement an in-state meat inspection. I know that the cattle growers really wanted to see that happen. Can you tell your listeners today, what is an in-state meat inspection? Why is that important to New Mexico? And why is that important to the consumers, especially coming off the, in, the heels of COVID? So, of course, COVID, you know, in the grocery stores, if if meat was available, the, the price was astronomical, right? So here in New Mexico, 96% of our livestock leaves the state and is processed elsewhere. And then it has to be turned around and shipped back in to feed the consumers here in the state. With all of that, we have multiple levels of middle middlemen or middle middle industries that are taking taking bites out of that that distance between the consumer and the rancher so with in-state meat inspection we we had it in the past but because of market pressures they slowly evolved out well with the the farmer markets the farm to table uh people wanting to know more about where their food come from and how it's how it's made. It's the perfect time to bring those two ends of the consumer producer relationship closer together. And so that's what we foresee with the state meat inspection. There's currently five uh, meat packers in the state. The wait time on getting meat processed within the state right now can be up to a year. So, so the time I put a 500 pound calf on feed, I have to go ahead and get my date scheduled. I have no idea when I'll be able to get that calf processed and, and handed down to the consumer. So, so we'd like to, the idea is to speed that process up, right? So if I, as right. a New Mexico consumer, I want to purchase beef from you, the New Mexico cattle rancher, we're going to reduce costs by eliminating middlemen, and you are trying to expedite that process, correct? We're trying to expedite that process. We're also trying to bridge that rural-urban gap in our own way. We're trying to get, we want to show how our family ranchers produce that meat, how we take care of the land, and that we feed it to ourselves, and we're more than happy to feed you too. I mean, we want that process completely open. There's so much uh, misinformation out there on how meat is raised for your family. And, and, and 
and this gives us that opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one contact. So, Lauren, so you we, just referenced win-win. You just mentioned the rural-urban divide. Of course, one of the one of the first things that we can the, one of the first things that that divide includes is uh, rural internet access. You're cutting out just a little bit, but I completely understand because I have the same problem when I'm back in my rural district. Um, but you mentioned that rural-urban divide, and I think probably as an association, you would agree that that's one of your greatest challenges is trying to explain to the urban New Mexican why the issues. Uh, why agriculture one is so important, why the cattle industry is so important, why the issues that you advocate for are so important. What are, do you, first of all, do you find that a challenge and what are some ways that your association yourself um, go about trying to bridge that rural urban divide to educate all New Mexicans on the importance of what happens out there in rural New Mexico? So yeah, there, there's a, a lot more to the state than the Rio Grande Corridor, right? And so um, in years past, not only did, did uh, the population have an agriculture tie, whether it was their grandfather's farm or their grandfather had a grocery store or whatever, but even our legislators had that tie. As we proceed forward, you know, less and less of our legislators have that agriculture background. But the reality is agriculture is still the third largest income driver in the state. So it's a huge, it's, it's huge in New Mexico. We're rural. There's, you know, most of the land we graze has absolutely no other purpose than to be grazing land. Um, there's only so many deer or elk you can harvest on that property. There's only so much and it doesn't mean we don't still do that. It just means the proper use of it is for grazing. And and that's our that's our key for our rural communities. That's how we keep the post office open and that's how we keep the hardware store open. It's because we supply those ranchers and we provide the jobs. And so you know, as we go forward, that's always going to be how do we educate our legislators? How do we educate the pu the public? Because it, it shouldn't be a fight. Everything should not be a fight. And that's one reason, like, I, I promoted HB 57, because it made good sense for everyone. And so the Prescribed Burning Act. And so that's as we go forward, we we work every day to educate our legislators. Those who make our laws, we want, we, we try to have our Ag Ambassador Program, we try to have, we work with Farm Bureau, we work with other members of the Ag community, trying to educate people and, and be honest. If a senator or representative comes to me and asks me a question, because I'm a, in actual production, they're going to get it straight from the horse's mouth. is because it's an actual producer up there representing actual producers. It does. It also, you guys also take the partisan politics out of the mix. I mean, the divide we are talking about is, is rural versus urban. It is not Democrat versus Republican. I know the, the makeup of your membership, for example, is probably equal parts, right? In the agriculture industry, you, both, you have both D's and R's represented. 
Um, and, and I appreciate that you're trying to bring that message back here to our legislators to understand that, that, that there's a voice of rural New Mexico that is often ignored um, up here in Santa Fe when we're creating policy. Well, and I'm proud. I'm, we have members in every single county in this state. And so we represent a broad base of citizenry. I mean, from Farmington to, and you can look at our executive committee, largely a diverse group of people. And uh, we don't all have the same exact business model. We don't all have the exact same uh, issues because we come from different segments of the state. And so, but our job, like I said, is to, to be that cordial, friendly, let us educate you if you have a question. Let us listen to your concerns and how can we address them. And that's, that's always been a great thing. We, we open a lot of doors for producers. I like that. Um, on one of your social media posts, you, you, you had a picture of a branding iron of a Zia symbol that said, we ultimately, we all ride for the same brand. And so as we wrap up here, I think that's a good note to close on is everybody listening. Ultimately, we are all New Mexicans here. Um, Lauren, as we wrap up, I'd like you to tell listeners, one, do they have to be a cattleman to be a member of your organization, uh, how they join your organization, how they contact your association, and really, how do you want them to get involved to join your fight up in the legislature? So uh, the easiest way to find out about our organization and to look at some of the things we do is you can go to our website, newmexicoagriculture.org. And you can look at some of our press releases. You can read some of the topics of concern on our website. And you can also become a member there. And so we have several levels of membership. Um, we have association memberships that if you're an allied industry, let's say you are a pharmaceutical salesman and you want to be part of cattle growers, you can be part of cattle growers. If you are a, a uh, insurance, you sell insurance for for grazing, you can be part of cattle growers. If you just want to be, if you are a landowner and you have concerns with property rights, you can be a member of our cattle growers organization. And so actually we do have, we have people in, uh, like say every county and we, and I think we're up to 20 states that we have members, active members from. That's right. And some of the best value, I guess, is just when we talk about encouraging people to get involved is just to get on those email lists or just to follow your social media, just to stay informed and understand what's happening uh, with with your lawmakers and what's happening on national policy and, and whatnot. So, Lauren, I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to, to close. I want to thank you for your time. Um, what would you like any of our listeners to know of top priorities or how they get involved or what is, what's the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association call to action as we wrap up? You know, we're looking at, at several things that, that are happening to us now. Of course, we talked about the non-navigable water within the state, but we're also, uh, we, we fight the, the lesser prairie chicken. So we're about to get a big fat uh, grazing rights issue if they declare the southern part of the Le Lesser Prairie Chicken endangered. We've always, it's been threatened, it's been on the threatened species list for a long time. But, so right now that's probably one of our biggest problems is if they declare it uh, endangered, that's going to cut off not only oil and gas activity in the 
in the southeast region of the state and really the whole eastern side of the state but it'll also cut off grazing uh, programs that we have there too so so right now that's kind of one of our biggest threats um, they're trying to declare that endangered without proving that it's a genetically different subspecies from their northern counterparts and so so that's where we're going right now we have two or three of those fights going one is the jaguar in the southwest corner you know and of course the whole border security issue you know we're getting overrun our ranchers are getting overrun down there it's unsafe it's unsafe for their families and and to be honest they pay taxes too they should they should be entitled to the same protections anybody whether they pay taxes in taos or or rodeo new mexico it shouldn't matter the fight seems to be coming from all sorts of fronts um again i represent senate district 35 which is the boot hill of new mexico i've been very vocal pushing back against the mexican gray wolf program uh, just yesterday, they released two known killers again in my Senate district. I want to thank you guys for supporting um, the efforts to try to prevent that release. I also want to thank your association for um, bringing attention to the border crisis that I have going on down there in that Senate district and just the safety concerns for our New Mexico ranchers that are right there on the border. So, Lauren, thank you for your time. We will see you up here in Santa Fe again. Um, for, for any listeners, again, we're going to leave your contact information to reach out to your organization in case they have more questions about how to become a member. Uh, thank you again. Keep up the good fight, Lauren. We appreciate all you do for New Mexico. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Always Lauren. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye.